Hello, and welcome to the Fad and Dad podcast. I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. His friends call him Fad. I'm Joshua Burks. His kids call him Dad. And we're the Fad and Dad podcast, where faith is meaningful and wit is an occasional guest. Oh, I, I, I'd be lying if I've never thought of some Fad and Dad apparel. I completely forget <laughs> what you said that made me thought of that. But uh, I mean, like a budget. Little... Yes, our budget. Is this expense? Yeah, put it in the budget. Okay. Sure. A little fat and dad logoed vest. Get some hoodies up in here. You love making vests. I love making vests, man. Yes. If I had a coffee mug that said "Fat and Dad" on it while I was recording "Fat and Dad," <laughs> still got my break the mold coffee mug. Still got it. I do too. Still got my break the mold vest. Nice. Yes. Nice. Uh, so that was a little trip down Amnesia Lane uh, for Josh and I. I'm Father Andrew Dickinson, Fad. Hey, I'm Josh Burks. I am Dad. And uh, we're just uh, amnesiaing about uh, briefly about the Newman Center in Brookings and Break the mm. Mold and making logos on vests. Those so I once got a very days. dear Christmas gift from my focus team, which was a Break the Mold vest. It was princely. Oh, yeah. I oh, was resplendent was. in glory. It's shiny. I love a good vest. But I am serious. But we need to. When we're done recording this, we need to plan the Fat and Dad uh, in-person recording while I'm at Broomtree. Yep. Okay. All right. Two and but for today, thumbs up. But for today, let's get to some teaching. In the Didache. Yes. That kind of rhymed. For today, let's get some teaching in the Didache. From the Didache. When we could be rappers as well as podcast hosts. <laughs> we can do it. We could totally do it. We, <laughs> welcome listener, we're finally talking about the Didache. <laughs> I know they've been so, waiting for it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the What looks like maybe Didache, the wacky Didache, it's, uh, it's pronounced Didache. It's a Greek word uh, that means teaching, or the teaching. And so, we're not here to give a history lesson on the Didache. Yo, Can I give up? you a history lesson on like my understanding of the word Didache? Yeah. I think for the last 20 years, I thought it meant the 12. Huh? Like it was the teaching of the 12. Yeah. 12 right. apostles. Right. But yeah, for some reason, until I reread the introduction, which I'd read before, but reread it right. this time, oh, it just means the teaching. Oh, the teaching. Didact- yeah, well, it, yeah, okay. you're not too far off because Dodeca would be 12. Correct. And it sounds really similar. The Didache Dodeca, the teaching of the 12. But I'm still wrong. <laughs> um,. So the Didache, I mean, it's worth at least saying a, a few lines about. Um, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, yeah, keep going. But I just, I'm just like, uh, we, uh, dear listeners, you might find over the course of this podcast that we are not, uh, while the Didache has some historic significance and is interesting, it's not thrilling? Yeah. Yeah, you, you know, Veil Torn Open, the Didache, just doesn't really, doesn't get me excited. Like like Ignatius of Antioch, man, he just, he got my wheels turned in, he yeah. got me revved up. Uh, the Didache is, it's good, it's interesting from both theological and historical perspectives. Mm-hmm. Apologetic um, perspectives. Yeah. If you're someone who's always like wondering about the difference between like Catholicism versus some of the other... Uh, Christian churches, like, you might really love the, the Didache. Yeah, 
<laughs> so whereas Ignatius, we were like, oh man, what's the next point that he's talking about? And the Didache, we're kind of like, oh, so okay, uh, yeah, next yeah. next chapter. <laughs> now, uh, so go, let's go back to the history. On you're yeah. going to very much uh, explain that. Please go. Re- ahead. Yeah. So so the Didache uh, is is an ancient slash modern ancient text it's it's said to be or it, it alleges to be the teaching of the 12 apostles um it it has been referenced in early church other church fathers and writings and then it was kind of lost for a long time and rediscovered in the late 1800s um there's a lot of it, it, there's a good dividing line it's about 50 50 on where people stand on the didache is it authentic is it not is it kind of authentic is it a compilation of earlier things? Uh, you know, so maybe the twelve didn't actually sit down and write this together, but is this just a compilation of things that the twelve said and wrote otherwise outside of scripture? Um, and so, you know, maybe that's why it's it's hard to get revved about it, just because of its ambiguity. Maybe uh, there's no sole actor behind it that we're not, you know, we're not peering into a specific. Uh, soul or heart like we were polycarp or ignatius yeah um, that's that, that's that's a great point uh that's really striking me as you say that just to interrupt your role for a moment and yeah uh but just the idea that it isn't uh like again either ignatius's own writings or writing about polycarp uh and his martyrdom yeah um whereas uh, this is it's almost like a catechism it's very much like a catechism so we need Father Mike Schmitz to read this. Yes, out loud. <laughs> That'd be go. great. Okay, there all we right. Go. This is his po- this is his podcast territory, not ours. How do we get into this? <laughs> Here we are, though. Um, this might be a discerning moment for us, though, in the future of Fat and Dad. Yeah, yeah. collaboration oh. with Father Mike Schmitz, huh? Hey, hey. Just kidding. <laughs> um, and so yeah, we we'll we'll treat the Didache for for face value. Uh, just like all the church fathers writings or the writings of the early church, it's not scripture. So, you know, I don't feel terrible about saying, oh, it's not too exciting or it's, I don't know. Do I say the word boring? Is that scandalous? I mean, one could use the word boring if one wanted. I mean, I'm not sure if we want to use the word boring, but we could use the word boring. We could if we wanted to, right? Right. We're just not sure if we want to. (laughs) Oh man. Um, I tell you what, I, I did, I did get excited about, like the first two lines <laughs> of the Didache. So <laughs> starts let's out just strong. Ju- yeah, let's jump into the f- not the shallow end of, of the Didache. Um, even the, the the introductory line I actually found is historically maybe interesting. It says the Lord's teaching to the heathen by the twelve apostles. That's my translation. Uh, and the word behind heathen would be the Greek word for Gentile, um, and it can just be translated either way. That was interesting in the sense of, okay, say for history's argument, this is mostly or even entirely from the 12 apostles in their community. The writings of the New Testament are very centered on, or at least addressed to, those in the church community already. Uh, Less so thinking of the gospels, more thinking of the, the letters and the writings that this would generically fall into. Like Corinth, Rome, Galatia, to the Hebrews, um, to the church in the dispersion. Like, Thessalonica. Yeah, the, these are being written to people who are already baptized in the Christian community 
whereas this teaching marks itself out toward those perhaps not yet in the Christian community. This is you a teaching, so? a catechism to the, well, it says to the Gentiles, to the heathens. I, I, I feel like it's being written to... Do you read I, it differently? Yeah, I feel like it's written to Christians. I don't think it's, I think when he's talking about Gentiles, I think he's talking about Gentile Christians. Mm, okay, that, it makes sense I mean, what you're saying now. Oh, to, like, to Gentile converts. Yeah. Okay. You know, that makes I, I more guess, sense. Okay. I, I, I think that makes more sense, especially given the kind of liturgical prescriptions they're giving later. Um, I didn't really yeah. connect those two thoughts. Especially I when... concede. I think you're right. Okay. Good. All right. Mark it down. Here. <laughs> we solved the Didache. Hey! <laughs> solved your problem with the Didache. <laughs> solved my problem. Um... What, for whatever that's worth. That was a very small point, but I, I like your insight there. What yeah. I really liked was the, the very beginning line or two, allow me to read it, says there Jeez. are two ways, one of life and one of death. And between the two ways, there is a great difference. Now, this is the way of life. First, you must love God who made you. And second, your neighbor as yourself. That's how the Didache opens. And I was particularly drawn to this theme of the way and these two ways as being contrasted uh, because this is rich in scriptural heritage and in the church's tradition. Thinking back to uh, at the end of Deuteronomy, this is exactly what Moses is preaching. I, I should know this. I'm, I'm the Bible teacher. Deuteronomy 28, uh, I lay before you two ways, the path of life and the path of death. Um and then the Gospels introduced us to, you know, John who prepares the way uh, for the Lord and Jesus himself in, in the Last Supper discourse says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Prophet Isaiah talks about make uh, a voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the, the voice that John fulfills in his, in his ministry. Um, and, and maybe my favorite point is that even before the the church community were called Christians, they were called the way. Uh, when we read about St. Paul's, or when he was Saul, when Saul was persecuting the church, it, he asked for permission to persecute those belonging to the way. We read that in Acts of the Apostles. Uh, so just this, this theme of way um, is steeped in our uh, religious and scriptural heritage. So I, I, I did find that fascinating. I fa Honestly, when you had talked about loving the introduction, I thought that was the main part you found fascinating the whole time. I, I didn't quite understand when we were talking before we got uh, recording uh, that the, the Gentiles, you thought. So does, does your translation actually call it the heathens? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Mine says, thought, just, mine says Gentiles. I, and I, so I looked at it. That's what prompted I pulled up the Greek, and it's, it's the word for Gentile. Okay. Ethnos. Some form of ethnos. So yeah, I. Ethnosin. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's um. Yeah, that first that the introductory line is a small point. It is this this theme of of the way sure. is really what captivated me. Um, so so it is largely in some ways a moral teaching, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to. Uh, it's it's really a practical document as well. 
Yeah, very practical. And I think that's, I think, for me, a little of what's meh, a little milk toast about it. Yeah. Is that it's not, uh, you know, we, we're not having Ignatius wrestling with uh, will <laughs> I or will I not uh, succumb to uh, the lions at my um, right. at my martyrdom. Right. You know, uh, we don't have his anguish over what will happen to his church back in Antioch. We right. don't have the pride and gratitude and amazement at watching Polycarp uh, go to his death. Instead, we have rules yeah 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 and i um i was thinking especially through chapter one there's it's similar in function and there's a lot of quotation uh from in reference to the sermon on the mount but again there's a little difference there in that the sermon on the mount whether whether it is viewed as being listy a bunch of do's and don'ts which i would have my own tangent about um on the side but even, even still, reading the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus is still scripture, and it's life-giving, and it's endless, and it's potency, and you can just uh, dig into it and pick it apart and really just, you know, exegete Jesus and the kingdom, whereas this isn't scripture, you know? So you just kind of have to take it as a as a catechetical text. Yep. 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 Um, so let's maybe do a little catechesis from it. Hmm, Let's do shall it. We? Shall Let's we do, do it. Yeah. So um, I think maybe just to skip ahead a bit. So the the contrasting, you know, the way of light, the way of darkness goes on for about the first five or six chapters mm-hmm. uh, of this, which are usually shorter than a Bible chapter if you happen to pick yeah. up or look like, up a copy of this and be reading it. Um, but then it gets more to like liturgical restrictions mm-hmm. and directions, which are interesting, I think, in some ways. And you had yep. something on, like, baptism? Yeah, so in, in chapter 7, uh, really the whole chapter addresses baptism. And you see that you can really observe that there is already some liturgical form and structure being passed on. Uh, so this is where... This is one of the historically... It, it's theologically important in watching the tradition of the church take shape. It's historically important in that you say this is from the twelve themselves that that the twelve were were crafting and at the same time receiving from our Lord um, a specific formula and um, a high regard for the practice of sacrament uh, and so it addresses baptism and let me flip here to chapter seven Please. it mentions the importance of running water. And it says, if you, if you have neither, uh, then pour water on the head three times. Like this is very specific. Uh, so there, there's a beautiful uh, rubric, or I don't know if that's the right word. Um, well, eventually become the word rubric. The word yeah. rubric comes from the color in which the instructions written in the liturgical books. Did you know that? I didn't know that. That's the the root word of the word rubric. So what do you what do you call a red stone? Oh boy! Hey, look at that red stone. Ruby. Oh. Like a, like a pre, like a precious stone, you call it a <laughs> ruby. Sure. Right. And so, like rubric just comes because in it, the practice became in right. liturgical texts is right. that the instructions would be printed in red, whereas the formulas or words you'd say are in black. Right. And so that's where the whole word rubric comes from. Fascinating. From the Catholic liturgical practice. Nice. Yeah. 
But this is before they probably had the different colored inks and things like this. But right. it is a what we would call now a rubric or an instruction of how to do it. Nice. Tangent like over. Um, and so you're yeah, so we see here not only that, yeah, it's not a, just a theology of a sacrament; it's really a liturgical catechism here of the form and the matter. Well, and also too that it was a there was a practice before there was a theology. Yeah. And you think about Augustine's formula that theology is faith seeking understanding. Mm -hmm. And so it's faith. We're faithfully doing what's been handed on to us mm -hmm. to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then we begin to theologize to try to understand what it is that we are faithfully doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like the deposit, this treasury deposit that can just continually be unpacked and explored and, and, and draw these riches from. Um, and so with baptism being the example here, every sacrament in Catholic teaching has uh, a specific form and matter that it follows to be a sacrament. And we get both of these here for baptism. We get the formula of baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Not they, in the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, the Sanctifier. Not in the name of the Lord Jesus, exactly, but in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That that is a valid baptism. Yeah. Um, and then we get the matter, the the pouring or the running of water and submersion in in this water. Um, and also, what I think we we don't latch onto baptism as easily as the Didache did was this emphasis on prayer and fasting before and after, or maybe mm. before and during. Yeah. Um, but that ideally the one being baptized and the one baptizing are both steeped in, in prayer and fasting uh, leading up to this event. So that'd be a beautiful um, kind of adoption from this ancient text into uh, modern practices. You know, if families welcoming new children into their, into their lives, um, you know, in, in the in the day preceding and the day of, that they're just steeped in prayer and fasting to, to mark the occasion of their child's baptism or an adult baptism. Yeah, we've really kind of lost a lot of our fast connections, yeah. uh, penitential connections in our common yeah. Christian life. You know, you think about how the day before a solemn feast, the vigil day would usually be a fast day in some way or an abstinence day or a day to prepare for the feast yeah uh, or things like the rogation days uh to pray for you know a safe harvest or things like mm -hmm. that and be days of fasting and prayer communal penance um and even just like you know the one hour communion fast before mass yeah you know uh, who can't make that right you know make it like a three hour fast and yeah but then you then we had the uh, people's crankiness with the midnight fast. <laughs> That's why they like midnight mass, by the way. Did you, did you know that? Yeah. 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 It's quick fast. <laughs> right? You can eat till 11.59 and then start your midnight fast, then make your communion at, I don't know, 12.50, and there you go. Right. Yep. So that was, that was a really interesting section on baptism. Yeah. I think on, on points both theological and, and historical. Yeah. And that maybe I would just love to bring up... Um, a bit, uh, which is briefly on the fasting, mm -hmm. uh, that difference between the Wednesdays and thir Fridays, like to fast oh, on Wednesdays yep. and Thursdays, or uh, instead of the hypocrites or the, is it really fair? Did you look at the Greek on that on eight? 
No, so I I would imagine that the Greek is hypocrites. Mine just says hypocrites. I remember um, hitting the Didache on uh, graduate school, yay, and years ago. Uh, and I remember learning this in context of the Pharisees, that the Pharisees would would fast on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So what does the Didache say? Fast on Wednesdays, Wednesdays and Fridays. Fridays. Which, on one point, uh, I, I think stresses that Christian call, that biblical call, even going back to the Old Testament, to be holy. Yeah. Which, in essence, means be removed, be different from. Uh, and so how is the church going to set itself apart from its... Um, you know, intermixed Jewish community, which did include Pharisees. Uh, well, now those who belong to the way, those who follow Jesus Christ, are marking themselves by by fasting on a different schedule, which also, though, happen to be important days, Wednesday and Friday in our Lord's yeah. Passion. Quick question, though. Yeah. I mean, Wednesday and Friday are, without a doubt, important days. Right, the day of his betrayal, when Judas sells him out to the Pharisees, mm-hmm. and uh, Friday, the day of his crucifixion and death. But is the hypocrites really uh, Pharisees or Jewish? Um, because he's writing to Gentiles. And would Gentiles knew the would, would a Gentile audience know the common fasting practice of the Pharisees? Hmm. Good point. The only thing I can think of is I I saw how um, how heavily this document as a whole leans on the gospel of matthew and you think of that section woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites and you know the sevenfold or was it eightfold um kind of the hypocritical addresses yeah yeah the woeitudes the (laughs) woeitudes man i why didn't we have this i just finished a court a 10-week course (laughs) teaching the gospel of matthew in the spring and I really wish that I would have called them the woeitudes. Did you consult me? Did you ask for a little help on that? <laughs> that would have been great. You know how to find me when you need when you need great one-liners. <laughs> yeah. Um. It, so I can see both points. I'm not. I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not firmly convicted that it's just pointing to the Pharisees, but I'll allow for the possible interpretation. Sure. Yeah. So I think um, moving on from that then would just be then some of the Eucharistic uh, things, maybe mm-hmm. to maybe end with that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, he has kind of a Eucharistic ritual, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not uh, to the structure that we have now, but again, it's early on. It's like barely 100 years since, 130 years or so since the resurrection likely. And so mm-hmm. um, we're not expecting to find uh, altar servers ringing the bells. Uh, but uh, we do find like a deliberate structured way to offer the Eucharist. I think the interesting thing for me on this, well, two things, one we talked about ahead of time, one we didn't, would be, first one be in, uh, I believe it's in, is it nine? No, it's in 14. No, it's in nine. Mm. So the end of nine, um, the idea of it's a closed communion. Mm. Yeah, explain what that means. So uh, just I'll just read the text here for a moment. Um, do not let, do not, I can't read. But <laughs> let no one eat or drink of your Eucharist except those who have been baptized into the name of the Lord. For the Lord has spoken concerning this. Do not give what is holy to dogs, hmm. quoting the Gospel of Matthew. So uh, one of the kind of things of debate 
uh, in, that you might hear about if you try listening to some things going on is, and in a lot of Christian circles, not just Catholic circles, mm-hmm. although in a lot of Christian circles it's kind of fiat accompli at this point, is uh, should we allow others to share in our communion who uh, are not fully initiated into the body or are not in a coherent living out of the life of the body mm-hmm. uh, of the church. And so we have this ancient uh, reading for the Didache uh, saying, well, no, there's, uh, the Eucharist is not an open thing, come one, come all, whoever you may be, however you may be here. There mm-hmm. is some level of examination that should be done before one uh, enters into the Eucharistic communion. Right. The way you said that, um, it really rings with a line just a verse or two before in that, you know, we don't allow those to the Eucharistic table who have not been baptized into the Lord's body Hmm. because it is also the Eucharist is what affects the unity of the mystical body, uh, that is the church. And so it doesn't make sense to, to give the Eucharist to one who is not part of that body. Uh, and, and that, that's at least being touched on here in the line before it, in, in one of the recommended prayers here in the Didache, with the Eucharist, it says, As this piece of bread was scattered over the hills, and then was brought together and made one, so let your church be brought together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. And I think there's really an essence of unity here with the Eucharist. Just as um, pieces are scattered on the hills and brought together, so may Christians who are scattered all throughout the world be be brought together through this Eucharist. Yeah. Uh, those who are part of baptized into the body of Christ are now um, effected in unity with one another through the Eucharist. Yeah. Right. And so I, we could spend a lot more time than we have in this podcast yeah. on that topic. But I think that's just an important, a not an unimportant one to be aware of. And, and just that, you know, if you hear about these things, think about these things, think about that the church fathers might have something to say on it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and kind of that classic phrase from Chesterton that the uh, Catholic religion is the democracy of the dead. <laughs> because we allow the past to have a voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, especially that that voice that we recognize as that capital T tradition. Yeah. Uh, a living voice. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the Didache. That's the wacky didache. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have no response. Uh, good. It's a fitting, uh, fitting bookend then to there your beginning go. and my end. Um, so... Uh, we didn't decide this before we went on air, unless maybe I'm not aware. Do we have a next one? No, you don't know. Okay. I don't know. Okay, yeah. there, we, we've been juggling between a few. Um, it, it, I think it's either, um, oh, what's his name? It starts with a D. Um, not Geogenes. Uh, yeah, you, you, yeah you, I've never wanted to do that one. Um, you always wanted to do it. I haven't told you this. I've never wanted to do it. Let's not do it. Okay. After the Didache, I want to do something exciting. I feel like Justin Martyr. Uh, but and then we also teased Melito, but oh. and, but I don't know what the chronology. If we're trying to go in order, I don't know where Melito and Justin fall with well, one let another. Me, let me just we have either way. We got to get them both. Melito of Sardis, well, probably Sardis. They're close. Melito of Sardines. So, uh, which which it's it's a horse apiece. 
It's a horse <laughs> that's, the most, that's the most northern thing you could say. <laughs> Dear listeners who do not live in the Dakotas or Minnesota, a horse apiece means it's equal either way. I learned that the hard way when I had to uh, live in South Dakota for four years. Dear listeners from Nebraska, <laughs> I bet some of you have heard this and you know. No! You've, you've heard no. of this phrase before. Uh, no way. Or Iowa or anywhere else than the Dakotas or Minnesota. I bet you've heard of this before. And it's you know a horse of peace. Oh, I'll never forget the first time I heard that line. Who'd you hear it from? Jacob Gengelhoff. He's Minnesotan. He is Minnesotan. Yeah. Well, anyways, so... Hi, if you course- listen, Jacob. And Jacob, if you're not listening, why are you not listening? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to send him this episode. <laughs> uh, so let's do... Let's go Melito Osardis. Yes. The Hymn on Paradise, right? Is that what it is? Um. Oh, that that might be untapped territory. The Melito piece that I know is on, oh, on Pasca. Pasca. On Pasca, yeah. Yeah. Which, which means what? On the Passover. There we go. And especially the Passover of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Yep. Yeah. All right. All right. Melito it is. Awesome. Melito. Melito, thanks for helping us. Melito Nito. <laughs> the Wacky Dadacky and Nito Melito coming at you from Fat and Dad. Do saints feel disrespected by modern neologisms? Nah. No? Okay. They think we're cool. I'm sorry if you are. We don't. We're not meaning to offend. Yeah. We're just moderns. We're just punny modern physical yeah. and spiritual dads. Saying God bless you, and we'll visit with you again. <laughs>